are listening to Fanholes, a podcast for fans by the fans. Secret Brothers. I have clinical. You guys are like wasting my time right now. Hey, baby. What's going on? This is my microphone voice. <laughs> Where do you buy those at? I need one. Yeah, I don't know what the fuck is going on. I didn't invent honorable mentions, mister. <laughs> I have a headset. It looks way cool. You should all be jealous. I, uh, we are. I'm with Mike on that one. I'm a woman! <laughs> it is our show. It's called Fan Holes, not, you know, what you guys want. <laughs> <laughs> We do a podcast? What the fuck? Master Luke, something troubles me. Uh, what is it, Padawan Starkiller? I just started listening to this podcast, The Fan Holes, a podcast made for the fans and by the fans, and now it is all I can think about. I am... Haunted by the podcast I should never have listened to. I lay awake thinking about how soft and comforting it is when it enters my ears. Not at all like that irritating sand. Well, my young apprentice, the fact is that you are, uh, in love with it. Really? Oh yes, no doubt. It is the will of the force of others. I don't know, master. It seems a little forced and contrived to me. Well, that is the Jedi Bindu way, Anakin. You are meant to, um, you know, love the fan holes. It's like poetry, you know. You and the fan holes, they rhyme. That's outrageous. Hey guys, welcome back to another exciting, forstacular episode of Fanholes Podcast. Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. I'm going to be one of your hosts tonight, and joining me tonight are two, count them, two of my Jedi Bindu Fanholes. Why don't you guys give a shout out and let everybody know who's here tonight. Welcome to the Fanholes. I'm Mike. Hey guys, how you doing? This is Tony. And it's not just Tony, it's a cast of thousands! When I wrote the very, very first script, it was about um, Anakin Starkiller and his two kids. Starkiller. Starkiller. And uh, he was a rogue Jedi, and um, there were remnants of that that sort of found its way into the final Star Wars. Yeah, so what we're going to be discussing tonight is a Dark Horse comic from 2013 titled The Star Wars. And basically, The Star Wars is an eight-issue comic book series from Dark Horse comic that adapts George Lucas's original draft for Star Wars that was written in the year 1974. Basically, this is this is taking the elements of what's known in the fan community as the Star Wars rough draft, and it's visualizing it in the form of a comic book and everything. And the series... Well, to, be, uh, to be completely nerdy, because I'm going to be a Star Wars nerd, I think, on this episode, uh, the uh, script was taken from his rough draft Bible called The Journal of the Wills. Yeah, yeah. So I, I think... 
I know on the wiki they call that like the Star Wars story synopsis, and then it's expanded into the rough draft, which is what this eight-issue comic book series is based on. And it is written by J.W. Rinzel and illustrated by Mike Mayhew. And I I just wanted to mention, like, it's funny, because I I, I think we all sort of agree on this, but I, I found this like a very interesting exercise you know that that it was kind of cool to see you know basically like i i think we'll have a lot to talk about in terms of what is similar to the original films what's different what ideas were scrapped what were saved for later and and you know it's kind of like that funny story about how they were going to make batman triumphant and i think at that time it was going to be scarecrow and harley quinn were going to be the villains you know because they'd already done the joker they'd already done penguin and catwoman they'd already oh, done oh, was that? And riddler and 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 you know they had done freeze and poison ivy and then it was going to be you know a fifth movie where the you know harley quinn was seeing ghost of jack nicholson and all this other stuff and it sounded like a really horrible script but the one thing that seemed to survive through all that bullshit was there was a scene where batman gets dosed with the fear gas and all this crap happens and he jumps out a window and that (laughs) somehow made it all the way through from like 1997 you know and and then fast fast forward about eight years it's like the one thing that survived that made it into batman begins after they totally rethought like a billion different other things that it wasn't going to be a sequel that it was going to be a reimagining or a a, a, you know restart of the franchise and all this other stuff and that it was going to be about like year one and all this other kind of stuff but somehow was that was that the uh, one that had a scuttlebutt they were like you know uh, even if Hollywood hadn't picked it, everybody was saying, ooh, Howard Stern would be a good scarecrow. Yes, yeah, yeah, like th- things like that. Like So somehow that all turned into what we got with Cillian Murphy as the scarecrow and, and that scene where Christian Bale, you know, jumps out of a window. So, so like some things just won't fucking die, you know. Like when, he's, some, when he when he when he's all like, there's poison, yeah. poison in my blood. <laughs> yeah, some some things won't die, and some ideas don't go away. So, I I think it's going to be fun to examine and see what ideas stayed and what ideas went, and how those ideas somehow resurfaced in other Star Wars films. And the thing I wanted to mention was I I didn't realize this at first because I was excited about reading this because I was I was actually kind of curious about what what this how this would be interpreted and and what it would be like. But I thought it was going to be and and I was trying to discern because I guess, you know, I've I've lost my ways in in the way of the four or whatever because i think the original script i actually read was actually another revised draft beyond this rough draft and so when i was looking online it was called adventures of the star killer episode one the star wars and i remember reading that second draft when i was like a fan you know big time into star wars and everything and it's actually it's quite different from this too so there were certain things in this that i was like oh i didn't expect that at all so is that that the is that the one where the main character is named mace windu or no it's it's still Uh, got star killer is the main character it's it's still got anakin star killer like as far as that script goes but like there's just i don't know there's things that are are tweaked and different it's not it's not the same as this it's like darth vader is actually a jedi like a lot of the it's it's interesting a lot of the images in this eight issue comic series 
are taken from the Ralph McQuarrie production art, like the 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 images yeah. that he created. And if you notice, like I don't know if you know, but there's this one famous one where you can see Darth Vader, and there's another Jedi in the foreground, and and it looks like they're you know basically like on a rebel. Uh, what do you call it? One of those blockade runners, you know, and Darth Vader's attacking the other Jedi or something like that. I think that's supposed to be a distilled version of what happens in the opening of that rough draft. So it's like at that point, Darth Vader was some kind of Jedi Sith Lord bad guy. Whereas in this script, like, I mean, I, I mean, I suppose we'll get into it as we as we talk about it. But, you know, Darth Vader in this version is just a general who is leading the charge of the emperor's army. You know, he's not, he doesn't run around with a quote unquote laser sword or whatever, you know? Or is that, is that fond of calling him that doof in the helmet? <laughs> the doof in the helmet. You know, it's funny is all I could think of when I saw the, the helmet on his head and he has the human face was that thing that Mike showed us with the, the play with the, the dude from. <laughs> oh yeah. Annie. Yeah. Annie. Yeah. Like I, 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 I go pod racing. Oh. Yeah. So, but I guess what might be kind of fun to do, and and Mike can put the the Star Wars opening scroll music as I as I read this. We can we can read the wackadoo opening scroll of this version of the Star Wars. Until the recent Great Rebellion, the Jedi Bendu were the most feared warriors in the universe. For one hundred thousand years, generations of Jedi perfected their art as the personal bodyguards of the Emperor. They were the chief architects of the invincible Imperial Space Force, which expanded the Empire across the galaxy, from the celestial equator to the farthest reaches of the Great Rift. Now these legendary warriors are all but extinct. One by one they have been hunted down and destroyed as enemies of the new Empire by a ferocious and sinister rival warrior sect, the Knights of the Sith. So that is the, the wackadoo opening scroll of the Star Wars. And I, I just feel like it's worth mentioning, because this may come up more frequently as we discuss it, that this version of the script, I mean, I always knew that the Hidden Fortress was a big influence on George Lucas for Star Wars. And I remember that was one of the reasons me being a big Star Wars fan at the time led me to do this whole Akira Kurosawa marathon where I would go and like rent all these Criterion editions of the films, whether they were on like VHS or DVD or whatever. And I'd, I'd watch like a lot of his films. I, I remember doing the same thing with Alfred Hitchcock, like just getting into a, a director's works and just trying to you know, sponge up as many of them as I could. And I remember I got a buddy of mine to watch The Hidden Fortress with me. And man, you know, I know it's a classic, but man, that movie is fucking boring. Like <laughs> it just, you know, like like what I've always said is like all, you know, you know how like the the way you feel when you watch Star Wars and the way 3PO and R2 interact on Tatooine in the desert, like any boredom you feel from that sequence, like it it all comes from the inspiration from the Hidden Fortress. Like that's all I can say. Well, and unfortunately, it's just like two dudes, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. They're 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 supposed to be the the peasants of of that storyline, and it, you know, I guess I guess the the idea is you're supposed to be viewing the story from the perspective of 
the lowest class in that story or universe or whatever. And I guess in the case of, you know, the Star Wars, in the case of, you know, the Star Wars universe in general, you know, droids, we don't serve their kind here. You know, they're supposed to be the lowliest of the yeah. So you're you're seeing it from from the, the through the eyes of, of the peasant class in in that story. But I just remember, you know, it was like, you know, you know that that's where the the whole the whole phrase where you know he he would always used to say pu when is this over you know like because it's like it took so long and um you know I, yeah i know i know it's a classic and everything but it, it was one of those things where it, it's interesting to see in in these pieces like the influences that stuck around like that that bit I explained about the the scarecrow bit you know it's like some of those things just stick through the entire run of of creative process and and you still get those moments you know those those hidden fortress influences and sometimes they extend all the way to you know the prequels and everything so I I found that kind of interesting but I guess you know I I'm, I'm curious I want to open it up to you guys before we get into the the nitty gritty of what's going on. I thought it was interesting, but at, at the same time, I, I feel like it, it kind of had the feel of like taking a bunch of scraps of things and trying to like make them into like, I don't know, taking a bunch of old cold cuts and trying to make a like good sandwich <laughs> out of them. But I don't know, like you could, you can tell there's some kind of like funk to it almost. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I would agree with that. I mean, the, the reason why I read that script that I told you I read was because I wanted some awful clunky George Lucas dialogue to practice with. Like I, I had an acting group, you know, like we would all get together and some of it, we, we always used to refer to it as like the cat food and dog food commercials, like the, the kind of dialogue you couldn't say with a straight face. And I was like, Oh, I know what you can't say with a straight face, like rough drafts of George Lucas dialogue. You know, like, and that, that's why I, I sort of searched that out in the first place. I mean, that's that's part of what I find interesting about it. I mean, even in the opening, they say how Lucas was hesitant to have someone adapt his rough draft. You know, like, I mean, I guess maybe he's satisfied with with the films he's released, even though some of the dialogue is certainly clunky in those. I mean, that's that's kind of how I always refer to, like the stuff I think is genius about Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back, especially is like a, yeah. a happy accident, you know, and, 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 you know, th there were plenty of happy accidents that made those movies great. And it's like, it's interesting to go back and see like how it's, it's basically like, Oh my God, what if do gray Scott played Wolverine? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like this, the X-Men franchise could have really been sucktastic. You know what I mean? Like if it wasn't for, for Hugh Jackman, you know, and, and this kind of quote unquote happy accident of I, I forget if it was like Dugaray Scott got hurt during Mission Impossible or Ever After or whatever the hell it was. But, you know, it just it, it ended up working out that way. And it turned into this happy accident that made Hugh Jackman like one of the, the coolest, you know, you know, basically guys playing Wolverine. And and I, I feel like there's a lot of those aspects like you, you can see like, geez, like this doesn't read like a you know, traditional screenplay, again, much like the problems in the prequels, like they can't really decide on who the hell is the main character. You know, there's, there's so many characters, there's so much like sort of, 
I don't I, I don't know how to describe it. But well, there were there were like odd like moments where I'd like kind of flash to the prequels and be like, oh, this is where Lucas got this from, yeah. basically, yeah. where like like Anakin Starkiller, where it, 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 I feel like I could read some of his dialogue in like Hayden Christensen's voice or something. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, well, like, well, that's kind of like I, I tried to make little descriptions of the characters so I could keep track of all of them. But for, for Anakin Starkiller, it's like Padawan son mcwiney bitch before the pre yeah you know like, he's just I mean, like, that, like that's what he is you know he's like he's like laying in his bunk and then what's his name um the white son or whitson whatever yeah he comes in and then like anakin's just like the princess i think i love her that, that, <laughs> like, that, like, that I... sequence like that sequence <laughs> in issue five it's like you're like wow no wonder lucas can't write of freaking yeah because it's like there it's like it, it's like out of nowhere like princess leia is essentially the the amidala <laughs> or the the padme of of this storyline and the star wars and it's like they're basically arguing and kvetching kind of like han solo and princess leia for the first four issues it's like he but, but not nearly as good nearly as well done i mean she basically he's got to take her away because there's this invasion force attacking their home planet and the home planet here is called uh aquila 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 whatever however we're pronouncing it is is much like the the proto Naboo in this scenario because it's got a royal family, but then it also has aspects of Tatooine because a lot of the story points and plots from Star Wars from A New Hope basically flow. A lot into, of locations. Yeah, a lot of locations flow into this into this narrative and everything. So you you you've got you've got a lot of those those elements and and kind of like mike said it's like he, he takes ingredients to to make a sandwich but in in this case it's like he was trying to make the biggest hoagie with all the everything he wanted in one single hoagie and what ended up happening was you, you know over the course of making these films you know there must have been somebody i don't know if it was kurtzman or whoever but somebody must have sat him down at some point and been like look man you got to pick one main character asshole but yeah, yeah the 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 sandwich basically ended up being turned into like you know, six different hoagies by by the time all was said and done. You know, like that. But this is this is kind of this condensed version of it, where where there's a lot of those those elements in there. You know, and and Anakin, it, it it's not just a clever name. I mean, he definitely is Anakin Starkiller. Like, yes, he's not Anakin Skywalker, but it it, it is to me. I mean, I, I can't help but think of of Hayden Christensen. I mean, he, the 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 character does have a romance with Princess Leia, who is like the the Queen Amidala or the Padme. But, you know, they have that weird. What Mike was saying, like that awful, awful romance going on where I think when they first meet, he's got to get her away from the city because of the invasion. <laughs> and and he punches her so that they can, yeah, like, he can carry her away. Just gave him a right cross in the first movie. <laughs> I was gonna say he really lays her out. Yeah, he, like, holy he, crap! He basically lays her the fuck out and puts her in a land speeder and everything. And then you 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 you've got that kind of bickering interaction that I think Han and Leia have without any of the chemistry. And then like by issue five, like out of fucking nowhere, Leia's like, "I think I love you," and and he's yeah. like, 
And he's like, silly girl, like love is for kids or what, you know, that, silly that's, girl, that's the, the kids. That's the the face I have on my avatar. Like, yeah. what? Your your skin is not as soft as sand. Like, don't <laughs> do don't don't give me that. Love love is for silly kids, m'lady. Like, yeah, that that's basically. And then and then not like five seconds later, he's he's in the 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 bunk beds with uh what's his face, Cleeg Cleeg Whitson. And he's like, yeah. you know what? I think I do love her. And, and and even Whitson's like, what are you, crazy? We're on the run in the middle of this war zone? Like, now is not the time to be thinking about love and getting your getting your bindu wet or whatever the fuck, you know? Like, yeah, well, well you're talking about a dead cyborg, so shut up. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, that that it's it's interesting. I mean, we can talk about the Star Killer family to start with because that's that's what this this first issue opens up with. It it opens oh, with uh, with Deke Star Killer, who is their father, and Deke is as I, as, thought, I thought he was Kane Star Killer. Oh, I'm sorry, Deke's the little brother. I'm sorry, my yeah. bad. Yeah, Kane Kane is the father, and 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 as Tony mentioned, Kane is, you know, he's got patchwork elements of the hoagie that would become darth vader you know what i mean but it's a it's a totally different sandwich you know it's like he's he's a good-natured father but he's he's a little he's a little battle weary it seems like you know and and you know in the middle of you know he basically drops off his kid uh anakin to be trained as a padawan to general luke skywalker who in this book and i don't know if we're secret brothers on this or not but yes it, it's influenced by the ralph Macquarie art and flash gordon and things like that but clearly they were going out of their way to make general luke look like george lucas oh yeah <laughs> like george lucas action hero yeah yeah, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad I'm not the only one who thought that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, I mean, he be- basically looks like Uncle George, and and they drop him off to to General Skywalker, and he's like, "Look, you've got to train my son Anakin as a Padawan," and it's kind of like, "Well, why can't you train him? Like, you're a Jedi too, Kane." And and Kane's just like, "Well, look at me, bro!" And he like rips <laughs> off his like fucking outfit, and 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 basically, you know, they they try to convey imagery that that star wars fans would recognize so he's got that sort of darth vader button chest plate you know and you can see you know except for maybe one of his one of his arms and his head i mean those are the only human bits of him left and the rest of him is supposed to be a machine man you know he's been through so much battle that that basically you know 85% 85% of him is is a machine, you know. And, and that that, that was one of the that was kind of one of those things that came out of nowhere for me too. Like, yeah. where it's like it's like behold, I am a robot. Like <laughs> like and everyone's like oh, a gasp. Like and I was like, man, like no, nothing I've seen so far in this universe like would even suggest that that could be a thing, like basically, like yeah, and 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 yeah. it's almost like Anakin's kind of embarrassed by it. He's like, "Dad, what? He's got to be dropping your your trousers at parties and showing people <laughs> your dong is metal. Why? You know." Uh, just just for a, a quick uh, Star Wars fan thing, uh, his son, his youngest son, Deke, Deke he gets killed yeah. like if like two pages in. Yeah, and he's yeah. like, "I'm really smart. I know what I'm doing." Um, <laughs> well, you know, you know, what's funny is like that does have layers of it, too, where it's like it's like the the way Anakin was portrayed in the Phantom Menace, you know, where he's like, I can do a trick. Yippee. And and it felt like Deke was was that kid. You know, it was like 
Look at what I can do. Like, let me go out on the field with you guys. Doesn't, doesn't he actually even say yippee? And yeah, I was like, that's where the fucking yippee is from. <laughs> yeah. Like, you, you son of a bitch, you're to blame for yippee. Yeah, exactly. That's that's where that comes from. I, I, I just um, think... I just want to oh. say, though, uh, Deke is actually the name in the uh, proper movie. And this is actually cut out of the, the first uh, Star Wars movie, A New Hope. Come on, Star Wars. I call it Star Wars. Um, uh, Deke and also Leia's two siblings, Biggs and Wendy, they are all Luke Skywalker's childhood friends. So those names come from somewhere, apparently from this. So yeah, yeah, there you go. Well, there's there's and a it, lot of there's I don't. It was it was cut from this comic. You guys don't know, but uh, Deke's last words also made it into the Phantom Menace. Uh, right before he dies in the original script, he says, "I'll try dying. That's a good trick." <laughs> <laughs> the the I, I thought the way that that death scene played, like it evoked memories of how Luke Skywalker was looking through the binoculars in Star Wars. And then, you know, he gets taken by surprise because he's looking at the one Tusken Raider and then the other one comes into full frame and raises up his staff and starts, woo, 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 you know, and all that kind of shit. And in this case, they're basically using the binoculars to watch their father Kane go down and take a look at, at a ship that they're investigating. And then all of a sudden the, the Sith Knight shows up out of nowhere in the frame of the binoculars. And, and that's what happens. I mean, everything happens so fast. It's like the, the kid Deke gets killed and Anakin's like, no. And, 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 and Derek, how about that bait and switch? Cause like on the cover, you have this guy with the big horns out of his mouth and he's like, you know, Roar, and you're like, Oh, that's going to be Darth Vader in this comic. And he literally gets killed in like three pages. He like kills me. Well, he's, he's, yeah. And, uh, well, to to me, you know what that evokes? Like that that though that is the seed of Darth Maul slash Boba Fett. It's like the Sith are written as having all this awesome fan aura. They they wiped out the Jedi Knights. They're the baddest sect of mercenaries in this universe. But yet when when Kane or like General Skywalker get it in their heads that they're gonna kill a motherfucker, man, in this book it's like if you fuck with those guys, they fucking cut you to fucking pieces. <laughs> I mean that that's the that's the no, nature true, of yeah. the whole like samurai hidden fortress thing, the whole, you know, Toshiro Misafune type aspect of these characters. It's like you fuck with the samurai, he's gonna fucking chop your motherfucking ass in half. And that's that's basically what, what happens in this. It's like they, they kill his his youngest son, and then instantly, it's like, just as soon as Deke is killed, it's like, then, you know, Kane busts out his his lightsaber and, like, chops the guy in two, and it's like, you know, you, you think you got Fanor of Boba Fett? Like, you think you got Fanor of Darth Maul? It's like, fuck you and your high ground. I'm gonna leap out of the pit and have the even higher ground and fucking <laughs> cut you in half, and that's the end of you. Like, that's that's what happens to that guy. It, it It's weird, because you... Much like Darth Maul or, or the Sith or whatever, like without the expanded universe kind of cluttering things up, you start to wonder. I mean, obviously, there there was not a lot of consideration given to the backstory of the Sith. They just were sort of a a means to an end, you know, like like I, I think that's why, like, sometimes I'm kind of like in my mind, I was always like, oh, Darth Vader, you know, killed the Jedi Knights, you know, in in the 
regular movie trilogy, you know, you you were thinking he was the one responsible for it. And of course, a lot of the criticism of the prequels is, oh, he killed a bunch of kids and didn't slay the actual Jedi Knights, you know, and, and you start to see in this, it's kind of like, well, that was never, it never seemed to be a consideration in all these rough drafts. It was just yeah. a bunch of guys, like random guys that somehow slayed the Jedi Knights and it wasn't any one dude in particular. So it didn't, it, you know, probably to George, it didn't seem like it was a big deal. It's like, so it's, it's clones rather than Sith or whatever, you know, like who fucking gives a shit. It's just, they were a, a means to an end sort of, I guess. It, it's, it's, it's kind of like he, uh, he doesn't understand the power of a villain. Like I think Darth Vader, the reason he turned out so well in those classic, you know, three movies and I mean, I'll go there. I don't think it was George Lucas's writing or even his directing, because obviously, you know, we had Irving Kirshner do the, you know, movies like, you know, and the, the other guy did the Jedi. And I think, you know, Richard a lot of those direct wand. Yeah. I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I think those guys put their hand on Darth Vader and was just like, let's make him a badass. Let's make this guy really cool. And of course, you had David Prowse doing the uh, physical stunt work. And you had, of course, the the iconic James Earl Jones voice. And I think, yeah, I think Lucas, he doesn't really do good villains. And he just concentrates on the heroes. So the the, the villains are an afterthought. And you kind of, like you said, you see this in this comic series throughout. It's like, I'm evil. Why? Cause... Well, you know, you know, what's interesting, too, is I guess if you go back to the Hidden Fortress, it's not like the villains in the Hidden Fortress were very well defined or anything. And like you've even yeah. got like the, the the emperor in this piece who is not a Sith Lord. He's not Emperor Palpatine. He's not basically orchestrating the fall of the Jedi from behind the scenes with all these plans within plans and machinations and everything. He's just like a politician. The, yeah. the emperor's a politician, just like every other shady fucking politician, but he's a politician. And like seeing the design there, like, and I don't think I, I feel kind of stupid, but I don't think I ever really made the connection to this before, but I, I never realized besides like the hidden fortress and flash Gordon and stuff. I never realized how much an influence dune had on on these films i mean I, now yeah. that i think about it i'm like oh the the freaking dune sea like tatooine like it's on a desert planet and you've got like this guy who's the emperor who looks to me a lot like emperor shaddam the fourth from dune and then if you look at like some of these early rough drafts like some of these short synopses that he crafted for the Star Wars, like one of the treasures of the Aquilae Kingdom is Aura Spice. And then you, you look into it and you're kind of like, well, wait, so that was Aura Spice. And then eventually that became like the Spice Mines of Kessel. And Han Solo was running the spice and it was like some kind of drug, just like it was in Dune, basically. I mean, you know, and I'm, I'm, yeah, it's like <laughs> it's the spice melange. And I was just like, oh, I never really. I never really thought of that before, but, but I mean, I, I, to me, I'm like, Oh, there, there's lots of things he, he tried to pull from and put into this, you know, monstrous hoagie sandwich that we're discussing tonight, you know, like where there were all these things that were, well, it, well, it's funny. You, it's funny. You should mention like Dune because I got a real like Dune vibe from this entire series. And like, this, this is going to come off as a sort of 
I don't know, criticism maybe or like uh, about Dune, but I always felt like at least the movie like Dune, like there was a slight layer of like impenetrability to it kind of, I guess, where there's a lot of like terms and like, you know, concepts that that are like part of that universe and they just like ask you to accept them like well, right away yeah yeah like... well you know what's interesting about that is like if you read the the herbert novels i mean there's a fucking glossary i mean it's like lord of the rings there's songs yeah. there's a glossary like you have to read definitions and understand things otherwise yeah, freeman dialect and all that shit i mean otherwise like you say it, it literally is impenetrable you know i i think that's why when they did the the David Lynch film, you know, they had all that internal monologue, the the whispering thoughts of people so that you could immediately get a glossary right then and there, hopefully yeah, by reading their without, mind. without some yeah. kind of like clumsy, like exposition. Yeah. yeah. And, and, but I mean, I do think in this, like, that's why for me, I had to write down names of planets and different, like, like uh, to us, like, you know, okay, we're star Wars fans. We're geeks. Like we know what a Jedi is. We inherently know because we've seen all six of those films, but it's like, think about it. Like, think about, you've never seen star Wars. Somebody hands you a script and says the Jedi Bindu. And what's interesting about it is those terms are so interchangeable that like looking at the different drafts of Star Wars, at one point he wrote another draft that was virtually identical to this draft, but just the names and terms were different. So instead of like the Jedi Bindu, it was like the, you know, diggy diggy doos or whatever, you know, like, <laughs> like, you know, basically it was like, it didn't really make a shitload of difference what you called them. You know, it's like, it's like these were the good knights and these were the, the bad mercenary knights, you know, like basically the, you know, it, it's kind of like basically what you started out with was, you know, a Rurouni Kenshin type thing, you know, period, you know, feudal wars and rival clans. And, you know, I, I there's even a line of dialogue, I think, between, you know, the the Sith Lord, basically Valorum and, and Anakin at one point. And he says, like, this is why our clans fought each other you know like yeah you know ideally all it's yeah yeah it's just it's just you know a bunch of random clans and everything so like it yeah i i agree with what you're saying i mean there there is that level of impenetrability if you if you have no grounding framework to to view this from i mean you know for us it's a, it's a bit of an interesting look but but yeah there there is if you just took this at face value you you see all the the sort of problems and the kinks they had to work out to get Star Wars in 1977 to make it just a Western in outer space versus, I, you know, I think I, I think I would also like lay that at the feet of like George Lucas. Cause it, it also kind of reminds me of, um, I think when we talked about Indiana Jones and how I, I think Justin brought it up where like Lucas was trying to like get Spielberg, like sell him on the concept of like, you know, aliens or whatever and Indiana Jones and like Spielberg was like, no, no, it won't work. And then like Lucas came back and he was like, what if they're beings from another dimension? And like, like that doesn't really address the problem that Spielberg had, but like, yeah, like I get like, I feel like Lucas just didn't like, doesn't have like, doesn't understand sort of like what, what that problem could be. It's kind of like he has, like, he has this bag, and he has some really good ideas in this bag. Because Lucas, I mean, he's a creative person. I'm not saying he's not. A lot of people like to shit on him and everything like that, and some of the shit is warranted. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a Lucas defender. 
He's made some mistakes, but it's like he has this bag and there's some really great ideas in it. But when somebody says, I don't know if that's a good idea, he's like, oh, okay. And he goes back and he goes back to his office and he's like, I want to put this bag up. And then he grabs the same bag and he walks back out. He's like, but what about this bag? And he just like gives you the same idea, you know? I, I think he just doesn't know how to play to it, like in uh, the general audience, basically. Well, you, you know what I find interesting is like sometimes there are these concepts like trade blockades, basically. And they eventually worm their way back in to the prequel trilogy. And you can see... He's the friggin' Senate leader in the prequels, yeah. Yeah, I mean, he's a prince, he's a Senate leader. Like, there, there's all these aspects of, of stuff that found their way back into the prequels. But the thing that I find interesting is, at its core, y- you can see Star Wars in oh, this... Yeah. You, you, I mean, you can see they go that there's the Death Star, basically, which they call the the w- w- they call it like the Space Fortress. Right. And yeah, yeah. and you can see there's there's Tatooine, there's Mos Eisley, there's the, you know, going to a a ship captain so we can transport a princess somewhere. And there is a big, you know, breakout of people in jails and the fortresses and everything. And then, you know, at the conclusion, it's like all the pilots go up and fight in a space battle against the other fighters in space fortresses. There's all these similar beats. Like, you can see, you, you know, you can see the, the regular roast beef sandwich within that sandwich that has all this other crap on top of it, you know? But, yeah. But what, what I find interesting is, well, somebody told you, hey, bro, you know, maybe it's not a good idea to have these purple onions and this scoop of ice cream and uh, this <laughs> this provolone cheese with American cheese on this, you know, roast beef sandwich, you know? And, and then what's interesting is kind of like what you guys are saying. It's like, oh, well, maybe he just never... It's like somehow he got the advice, the changes were made, but still in the back of his head... Wait, you know, that that trade blockade thing, that's still, I thought of it, so it's still a good idea, so let's bring that back. You know, but it's like, it's sort of not acknowledging that it was excised from the original draft for a reason. (laughs) It wasn't wasn't excised because, like, there was just too much good stuff, you know what I mean? It was like, uh, in the sandwich, it was like excised because it would have made it taste crappy, and then it's like, you end up with, like, this other hoagie on the side, which is like, you know, the prequel hoagies, and you're just kind of like... Like, did you really need to bring back the air tanks, which were like the, the the battle droid tanks, or you know, I don't know. Like, it's just it's it's interesting yeah. to see those aspects to it. You know, it's interesting to see that that like say the capital city of the empire or the capital planet, I guess, is Alderaan. Is Alderaan, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like the implications that that has. It's like in in Star Wars, you know, Alderaan was was a planet of peace and it gets destroyed by the Death Star. But then if you actually look at the the design aspects of Alderaan in the Star Wars, it, it actually looks more like Bespin from The Empire Strikes Back. I mean, it's a it's a giant city in the clouds, you know, like so like y- you just see all these kind of interesting, interesting aspects that that end up coming back later. And and it's funny because it's like he's got all these ideas kind of kind of like Jack Kirby. Like it's like all these ideas that are thrown at the wall and not all of them really get fully realized or played with like that. I mean, part yeah. of the reason why the empire is attacking uh, Aquila is that 
it's basically said to be a genetic treasure, you know, cloning place where they've perfected that art. And you're sitting there thinking the Clone Wars, you know, the Clone Troopers, like all these things that you've heard about in Star Wars lore. But what's but it's only brought up once. Yeah. yeah, it's like it's just brought up as like this would be a good reason to conquer this planet. And we totally now we've got the keys to the cloning machine and then they don't do anything with it for the rest of the piece, you know, and you're just like, yeah. huh, that's or, you know, or, or like there's that like that scene where Darth Vader is talking to uh, Hoek or Hoek or whatever oh, his name is. Oh, Yeah, but. They're talking to this big fat alien guy, and the alien guy's like, I have a sense of the forces. He's like, oh, he's like forced to tune, and you never see that guy again. You know what's interesting about that scene? Like, like the, those three characters, it's like basically, you know, even though Darth Vader is just a fearsome general and not a Sith Lord in this, you've got a tall giant general who basically evokes David Prowse as Darth Vader in the original Star Wars. You've got a governor who's basically been promoted by the Emperor, who's basically kind of like Peter Cushing as Grand Moff Tarkin. And in the background, you've got this fat slug of a guy saying what a pain in the ass General Skywalker is, and you're like thinking, well, that's fucking Jabba the Hutt. You know, like, yeah. that, that's kind of what, you know, you see the seeds of in in that that sequence and everything and it's just it's just twisted around and like kind of like what mike says it's done differently and and you realize in terms of story structure like there's a reason why they saved the death star for the last bit in star wars you know what i mean Yeah, and this is like in the middle of the damn series well yeah yeah well it's like it's like basically the opening i mean the, the reason why r2 and 3po rocket away in an escape pod is because they're on the space fortress, the Death Star, that's being attacked and is attacking the planet, and then they basically rocket to Aquila, but it's in the desert portion, and then you have that bit of Star Wars. And it, it kind of reminds me of, like, the the way they did things in V for Vendetta, like, in the in the comic, and then the way they did it in the film it's kind of like it's like in the in the comic i think they started with v basically taking out and and exploding uh parliament or something like that but it's like in the film they save that for the end you know and i i guess maybe that's just the the way things are done cinematically it's like you don't you, you know you don't roll out your big giant event you know you don't roll out your climax at the beginning you know it's like it's like you you gotta save that for the end and stuff like that. And and it seems like, like the, the star destroyer and the, the death star are kind of, uh, they're kind of, they're kind of wussied out. I, I just think they seem to be, uh, I, I, I can never think of this word on the podcast when I'm trying to do it, but, but, um, you know, uh, conflatulated, configurated, whatever the fuck the stupid English word I'm thinking of is, they basically are just merged into the same thing. They're, they're interchangeable almost. It's like, you know, you can see that, that there's the plot point where the, the droids are on the Death Star, or, you know, in this. But in, in the film, it's actually like they're on a Star Destroyer. So it's like they're... they're well, yeah, it's, it's really weird because, like, they're, they're obviously robots. And they don't have really any allegiance, obviously, because they're robots. But, like, they're, they're kind of working for the bad guys in the beginning. You know? Yeah, they're... they're, like, they're... You, they're working there. Well, you know, in, in, in the context of the hidden fortress, you know, those peasants, you know, to make it simpler for the audience, the peasants wanted to work for the empire clan, but they just fell in with 
you know, the, the Jedi Bindu clan, basically. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like they, you know, it, it was by complete accident. And by the end of it, you know, they're, they're on, you know, the princess's side and all this other stuff. But it wasn't, it wasn't like it was by choice. I mean, they, th- those peasants were kind of greedy, nasty human beings at the Which start. Which they are in this. Yeah. You know, and, and in this, it's interesting, too, because the droids are kind of self-serving and, and, and not, you know, it's not like they're extremely likable. And uh, by the way, just for hardcore Star Wars fans, if uh, R2-D2 bugged you with his beeping, oh, it's okay. He talks in this one. Yeah, he just straight up talks, which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, what, one thing I wanted to make out uh, that was kind of funny, I don't know if it was the art style or if it was just inconsistency. The, the painted style is very nice. I like the painted artwork in this. It's, it's There's a couple of scenes where the poses are kind of weird. But how fucking big is R2-D2? Because sometimes he looks like he's not even a foot tall. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I imagine he's just supposed to be the same as R2-D2 regularly would be. But I didn't, I didn't think about that too much. Yeah, just it was just an artistic look, and I was like, because sometimes when like, like Anakin's kneeling next to him, he's like kneeling low because it's like he's barely like at his like above his knee, and I'm like, how short is this motherfucker? But in other scenes, he looks like he's about at C-3PO's. Uh, waste so you know you know speaking speaking of the art i mean my my one criticism of it would be there there were some things i didn't realize i think because of perspective in certain cases like biggs and windy like i think i thought windy was a girl at first i did too i thought one of them was a girl and then i didn't didn't realize like until a certain point where i saw like a full-on shot of the both of them and it's like oh they're twin boys they're brothers like and i understood that at some point but you know there were aspects where you see clig whitson and and i mean he's there from the very beginning but he's such a background character, especially when the Emperor is giving a speech and all that stuff. Like, you don't quite make the connect. I don't know, at least on my first read, I, you know, I think it's mainly I chalk it up to the art more than the, the script, to be perfectly honest. You know, like, like that I didn't realize that he was such an important character until you started seeing, like, close-ups of his face. And at some point I started going, well, wait a minute. Isn't General Skywalker running around in a land speeder with the princess and the twins with Anakin? And then it just seemed like out of nowhere. No, it's like, Cleek, yeah. The Cleek's <laughs> there. And and when I went back and looked at it again, I was like, oh, I see. There's two speeders, and Cleek's driving one of them, and Anakin's driving the other one. But I think that's that was so kind of backgroundy. It was kind of like when Eric Larson, you know, just wants to draw a bunch of scribbles, and that's supposed to be like a whole bunch of villains that are about to assault Savage Dragon, but it's just a bunch of squiggles. You know, like, I felt well, like, you know, like, that, that there wasn't a lot of clarity in, in some of those sequences. Well, well it's, like, it's like what I was complaining about, like, with my cast of thousands. At, at a certain point, at a certain point in this comic, um, our heroes are, and, I, and they all have prominent roles. They all have, like, you know, cool moments. But we have Kane Starkiller. We have Luke Skywalker. We have Cleeg Whitson. We have Anakin Starkiller. We have Han Solo. We have Princess Leia. And we even have fucking Wendy and, you know, fucking Biggs, like, not playing a big role, but they're there. And we have R2-D2 and C-3PO. We have, like... Yeah, and then you know, and then, yeah. and then by the end of it, then you, you introduce Chewbacca and the fucking Battlefield Earth <laughs> Wookiee crew or whatever. Who all <laughs> learn how to fucking fly Y-Wings and shit. And it's just like, man, there's, like, a lot of... Like, like, I don't know if it's in, only impenetrable, but yeah, they, they certainly 
throw a lot of shit at you and you just sort of have to, you know, either roll with the punches or whatever, you know, like that's, that's, um, I mean, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, you, you know, th- th- this, this takes the whole issue of the prequels, not deciding on the main character. I mean, in that arguably you could say, come on, like, dude, you should have decided whether it was Anakin or Obi-Wan. But in this, like you've just illustrated, you're like, you've got 10 fucking main characters to choose from almost, you know, and you're like, holy crap, dude. Like you, you know, I mean, I mean, ideally the main character should be Anakin, but I mean, like you're saying, you know, in, in, when you first open, you think it might be Kane and then Kane, you know, I, I guess we should discuss like all these noble sacrifices. It's like that seemed to be, eventually reflected in obi-wan kenobi at star wars where he kind of stands still and gets killed but it's like it's like you know i I hate to say this but like kane throughout the like the the issues he's in he like there's a point like in the first issue where you're like he's kind of a badass and he's pretty cool you know oh kane starkiller that's a cool name he's got like you know his little shit fucking son you know deke who can't do anything and he thinks he's cool and he got his other son, Anakin, who's trying his best, you know, you're like, oh, okay, Kane's pretty cool. But after a point, he's just like, I want to die. Let me die. <laughs> yeah, and, and, I and yeah. I, it's weird knowing the path that Anakin Skywalker takes as opposed to Anakin Starkiller. Because Anakin Starkiller ends up sort of taking the path of Luke Skywalker in this film to a yeah, great yeah. degree. But I did have that thought in the back of my head where he's like, I hate you, Leia. You made my dad take off his power converter. You know, like, <laughs> I hate you. You know, like, yeah. I was, I, the, some some of that was, like, in the back of my head where I was wondering, like, is he going to blame her for that? Because it's like his dad basically gave up his life to, to save the lives of the twins, which I guess they need the converter to conceal them. and And, and that concealment, like they put them in these little tubes, but they talk about how they're in perfect hibernation. So again, it's like another kind of laying the seeds for Han being put in carbonite and Empire Strikes Back. I, I, gotta, I gotta admit, like them like carrying toddler around toddler toddlers around on their back in like little pods, it got a little creepy at points. I was like, that's just kind of weird. <laughs> well, I'd, I'd imagine that's just like you know in, in a feudal Japan, you know, it's like sticking kids in baskets and. And running around with them and everything, if they're that's if they're true. supposed to be royalty and stuff like that. But that's the the sci-fi version of it and everything. It, it's weird. You talk about like all the 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 potential main characters. I mean, you know, to me, like Clig Whitson gave me a vibe of like you and McGregor in the prequels. You know, I don't know if anybody. Else... I, I really like Clig Whitson. I actually said he was going to be my avatar tonight, but I couldn't find a good picture of him online. I'm sorry, I'm not going to scan a picture of Clig Whitson just for the show. But um, he did start off as a very minor character. There's even a point where they're like, you know, you know, we found Whitson. He's exhausted. He's dehydrated. You know, and it's like, oh, okay, he's gonna be written off. You know, he did his job. He's like, you know, he's the Bothan spy. You know, it's like he had his little moment. But he comes back and he's actually kind of cool. I kind of like that guy. And I was like, and then I'm sorry, spoilers. He dies. Yeah, I was gonna ask, like, what, like, compared to. Compared to Kane, Starkiller's self-sacrifice, like how did you take Cleek Whitson's self-sacrifice? I thought it was kind of badass because he was like, "I gotta save the princess. I can't launch the pod with me in there." So you know, it is like for freedom, you know. And and now you're also one with the the Malamars, and you know, it's just 
it, it, it was a nice it was a nice thing. I thought it was really cool. It was like a very cool self sacrifice. Yeah, because now it's not. No, by the way, it's not. May the force be with you. May you be one with the force, or may you join with the force, or whatever it's called. Well, basically, they they say may the force of others be with you. Yeah, the force of others be with you. Yeah, and yeah, I'm so like, now, that's, now it's that's like, like now they're like, oh, he is now with the force of the others, you know, and and all these. It, it kind of reminds me a bit more of like the force in this is not so much a, you know, telekinesis and superpowers and shit, but it it, it reminds me more of the way. People talk about the matrix. It's more like a religion. Yeah. Well, it yeah, reminds more like me a religion, like yeah. the, it reminds me more of the way people talk. Well, about they, they just have, they just have faith, you know. Yeah, it reminds me more of the way people talk about the matrix, you know, and in, in Transformers that you know he he's now one with the matrix, you know, and it's like oh well the person died and now they're they're part of this sort of knowledgeable afterlife or something and that's the, I I you know it, it, it's one of those things though it's like. It, do you really need two awesome self sacrifices in one script? You know, like yeah, yeah. that's the the kind of things that people sat down. It's like it's not like that the way Cleek went out was not cool, or it's not the way that way Kane decided to, you know, give up his own life for the twins is not a noble and good thing. But you're just like sitting there going like, okay, they're both essentially the same thing. It's both these moments of self sacrifice. So it's like you could clearly streamline that until like one character has that moment and they do it you know but in this it's like you, you, you some of it becomes repetitive you know to a degree yeah and i mean i think one of the things i uh kind of noted is because of such a large cast I, I i don't like i said this is an adaptation so i guess they're trying to slim it down to like who you care about but unfortunately they make some characters seem better than others like Cleek. I liked him better than Anakin. Kane, I kind of liked him better than Luke, you know? And I'm like, you know, it was like the guys I like kind of died. Luke is not bad. I like Luke. Luke is not shitty. I, I Luke is definitely enjoyable. But, like, I thought Anakin was like a punk for through, throughout most of this. And I was like, I would rather Cleek be the, the badass. But uh, I, I guess I should bring up one of our uh, Secret Brothers things, Derek, as far as all the characters. What about haunting? Burr, 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 burr. You make my yes. heart sing. You make well, everything. Han Solo in this is a reptilian alien, but man, if he doesn't look like fucking Swamp Thing, <laughs> like you, you, you could have fooled me. Because that's 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 what was funny, Mike. Like me and Tony were talking about it, and and I had written in my notes. Like, reptilian alien kind of has a Swamp Thing face. And when Tony came online, he's kind of like, did you get a load of Han thing? And I just started laughing my ass off. <laughs> you know, I was like, dude, you've done it again, Jackson. It's like Han thing, you know? <laughs> what do you think about that, Mike? What do you think about the uh, green alien Han Solo? I had heard of that before, where I think it's kind of infamous now that it's like, you know, people will be like, did you know in the first draft of Star Wars, like Han Solo was like this green lizard thing or whatever? So I think like I had heard of that before and I don't know, like he he doesn't really like fit any other like archetype aside from like the name, basically, like, I don't know, he wasn't like roguish or anything or anything <laughs> like Han Solo. He was just like another... Another character tacked on to, like, yeah, like, this cast of dozens, like, you know, basically. Actually, it's, it's really funny because the character type he fits the most is Zeb in the Rebels 
TV show now. Well, I, I'd say he's got aspects of 3PO because he, he serves as like a translator for all the Wookiees. Like he seems True, to, yeah, yeah. to speak their language. So so in that aspect, I see I see what point he served in that point in the story. But like you said, it's easier to take that and, and streamline it into another character because it seemed like, oh, we've got to get a guy to 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 take us off planet. And he, he was also that you know, the ship captain guy who was going to get them off planet. And then later it seemed like he he spoke Wookiee. So it's like, oh, good thing he's here to tell us that these guys think Luke Starkiller is some kind of, or I'm sorry, Luke, uh, Anakin Starkiller is is some kind of god, you know, or whatever, you know. Wait, well, you know, that's the, that's the funny thing. That's why, like, I told you, like, this is kind of a clusterfuck, it is, but there are moments I like, because, like, when they reveal, you know, it's like, oh, like, Luke is like, you know, oh, and they say you're some kind of god. And even Anakin's like, oh, shit. Yeah, it was like, I'm like, okay, that's kind of funny. He didn't mean for that to happen. And I'm like, I could, I could take that. That's, that's, you know, he didn't mean for that to happen. So, I mean, like, we're, we're making fun of a lot of stuff in this. We're, like, picking it apart. But there are some definitely interesting scenes in this. I actually like the R2 3PO dynamic because. It's kind of funny. It's like if you watch the movies, the original trilogy, you of course see C three PO side. You know, he's like, you know, you you little piece of grease. You know, like why do I even bother with you? But in this, R two D two is like, you know, well, you're just a philosophical, like, you know, useless, meandering fool. Just go ahead and go to the Juneless Waste. You know, just go do whatever you want. And it's like kind of funny to see R two D two like fire back at C three PO where you can understand them. So I kind of like that. I, I thought that was interesting because I feel like like R two's dialogue actually like fits with the like the actual movie like like you you could probably transcribe some of that dialogue as like subtitles onto R 2s like beeps and boops and it would like fit perfectly hmm. in the actual movie. Yeah, yeah. And I I also I also note like speaking of the droids like I I also noticed it seemed to me like. Most of, like, 3PO, or most of the situations they were in, like, made it into the final product, basically. Yeah, like, yeah. Their, their dialogue and, like, where, where they were at at certain times and stuff like that. There, there, there was even a scene where they're, they're going away from the Death Star, and it, it kind of gave me a little bit of a fanboy moment. And they're looking out at the skate pod from the Death Star, and originally it's from the Rebel Blockade Runner, but C-3PO still says, oh, the damage doesn't look as bad from here. And I'm like, oh, that was in the movie, you know? That kind of stuff. I don't know if I have like weird nostalgia goggles on those things, but I I always thought like R two was a nice like see that I I think that's part of my problem he is with kind like, of a the dick, yeah. It's it's weird. Like I I always thought R two was kind of like a cool nice droid and and he was witty and smart and helped out the lead characters and everything. And and I could see how maybe 3PO started out as a used car salesman to a degree, but by the time it actually went to film like basically there were elements where he became more of a likable character he he almost was the kind of character where you know yes the heroes get put in these perilous situations but he was the one to voice like hey you know what this perilous situation is pretty horrible like we should we should <laughs> probably not be in this perilous situation and just as somebody who you know i mean you know obviously self-preservation is ingrained in all of us so there's that aspect where you're kind of like well you know i'm not gonna 
I'm not going to bust the guy's ass because he's into self-preservation. I think everybody should be into self-preservation. But in this, like reading the actual dialogue, they seem like, you know, to, to use a, I guess a British phrase, like they seem like two gits who just don't get along with each other, you know? And they, they, I, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't find them very likable in these early drafts, like at all. I, I, I think one of the really interesting things is, is, is like, <clears throat> you, you see the, uh, a new hope. And it seems like, the way R2-D2 is acting, he's like, we got to do this vision for the Rebellion. You know, we got to get this done and all that stuff. And in this, 3PO is kind of like the guy who's like, we got to get the fuck out of here. You know, we got to do this. And R2-D2 is like, we're going to be like deserters. We're going to be abandoning our post. You know, and it's like, R2, what the fuck is wrong with you? You're wanting to stay on this ship, you know? And it's like, damn, R2, you got a little bit of a dark side. And you're like, I would have got here for the cause until he gets like really too close to the action. He's like, okay, we got to get the fuck out of here. You know, so... In 1977, the world changed. The film industry was transformed. The popular culture rocked. And young minds forever altered. Star Wars arrived. And nothing would ever be the same again. Though everyone wasn't affected in the same way, everyone was affected. This is my Star Wars story. My Star Wars Story, monthly at mystarwarsstory.com. I mean, there, there, there's those interesting aspects. I mean, there were there were things I, I found intriguing about the whole exercise. But, I mean, ultimately, that's what I think it is. It was kind of like a an interesting exercise to visualize, you know, the original screenplay warts and all, you know, like and and, yeah. you know, I, I, I you know, I think it's only fair. I mean, yeah, we're going to sit here and be critical and point out all the warts that we see. But it's also kind of fun, like to see those those interpreted because obviously not everything was drawn by Ralph McQuarrie. So you've got all these kind of interesting things, whether they're, I mean, you may want to speak on this, Tony, but like, what did, what did you think about the idea that the, the star destroyers were essentially like mini colonial vipers in this that just did flybys <laughs> and stuff. I mean, that was kind of a, a head trip sequence. I thought. Um, yeah. Well, especially how they laid it out because it was, it was actually kind of smart how they laid it out because the first time you see the star destroyers, you see three of them flying over the capital, and the perspective is kind of skewed. So you think, oh, wow, those are just really big ships, and they're just hauling ass. But then they, like, do a close-up of them, and they got cockpits. They're like starfighters. And as you know, it's like Star Destroyers are, you know, miles-long starships that, like, you know, ruin planets. And it's just kind of, the what? You know, it's like, the hell's going on? And it didn't piss me off, but I was just like, that's weird, because you don't really get a lot of big starships in this. The biggest thing is the Death Star, or the Space Fortress. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah and, like, probably the second biggest thing is not the Millennium Falcon. The closest thing we get to the Millennium Falcon is pretty much the Rebel Blockade, Blockade Runner. Runner. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just like, wow, it's like, it seems like it's still epic, but kind of on a smaller scale. It's, it's, it's yeah, it's very head trippy. You know, even the X-Wings, they're like these weird... Uh, like single fighter things with like another cockpit on the wing, which is by I guess the gunner station and stuff. And you have like you have references to Mace. Mace is actually uh I don't know if he's Mace Windu, but his name is Mace. He's one of the fighters. 
Uh, I'm trying to think of the other fighter pilot name. Um, not Porkins. Uh, crap, that's going to bug the shit out of me. I don't know. It seemed like Chewbacca was doing all the <laughs> fighter piloting in that. Oh, well, that, that's another funny thing. The uh, Y-Wings were actually Imperial starships. Yeah, yeah, that they took over. Which is, yeah, which is just another, like, you know. Oh, honestly, I will say this, though. I'm a weird techno geek. I like weird designs. And I always like the Y-Wing. I don't think it's better than the X-Wing or anything like that. But I always like the Y-Wing design. I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool starship. So to see, like, a big-ass squadron of Y-Wing starfighters go against the Death Star and be, like, the the badass ships that this guy take down the uh, Death Star, I kind of like that. I was like, yeah, Y-Wings, go get you some. <laughs> you, you know, the, like, other aspects. I mean, we talked about the air tanks that went on to be the the battle droids and the trade federation tanks in the prequels and everything. But another prequel visual connection I noticed that was slightly tweaked and, and kind of like how you felt like, Oh, it's a little weird to see tiny fighter jet star destroyers and all that kind of stuff is when, when they have the invading Imperial army that's led by general Vader, there are a lot of essentially stormtroopers who ironically carry their own laser swords and stuff like that, which is also kind of yeah. funny. But they are on, like, animal, you know, some kind of animal do-back type thing or whatever thing. it is. Yeah. And it, it really did remind me of the way the Gungans had all their little, I, I don't know what the hell they're called, but, you know, the, those basically... Uh, those, are called, those are called Kedu. Kedu? <laughs> Okay, so yeah. so the the bipedal Kedu, and it's like it's like basically it's like you know since since they were the Gungans animals, it's like they all kind of seem kind of friendly and happy faced and everything. But since these these Imperial yeah. Kedu, for lack of a better term, were were bad guys, it's like these guys seem more like you're saying like Velociraptors with like sharp teeth, and they looked like they they were evil, you know, like kind of nasty looking guys and stuff. So I, I found that kind of interesting that. You had a whole army, but they, they were obviously, you know, I mean, I, I imagine they're supposed to serve as like, you know, space horses and shit, you know, if like, you know, this is based I, on the Hidden Fortress, you know. I thought, I thought it was also interesting that like that, that uh, you know, ground invasion fleet, if you've seen the prequels, the uh, battle droids ride on these basically like pogo sticks that fly in the air. And that's what like the technological aspect of the uh, what is Star Raiders or Air Raid or whatever they're called, the the sword troopers of this iteration, they ride on and they're like the the steps, which is what they're called in the uh, prequel trilogy. And like those are kind of like the speeder bikes in this. They're like these like vertical looking speeder bikes instead of like the uh, normal kind of, you know, motorcycle looking uh, speeder bikes we see in Return of the Jedi, which was also kind of cool, you know. What, what did you guys think of the moment where, you know, they're in the blockade runner. When they're in the blockade runner, they basically... That that is the moment in Star Wars in A New Hope where the Millennium oh, the, the, Falcon, the, the, the you know, they've got scene? they've got yeah. Han and Luke in the two cockpits, and in this case, it's Kleeg and Anakin in the two cockpits. But I I just kind of thought it went too far when basically Anakin's cockpit like gets shot, and then like he's floating around in space for a little bit, and R two has to wheel him back in with a, a a line and everything. Like I I don't know. What did you guys think about that sequence? I would say it was like a little too over the top because I mean it, it's hard because it's Star Wars and because it's space opera. It's not like Star Trek where they have a lot of hard science and stuff. 
And they still say it could suffocate, but the motherfucker is like bouncing around outside of a spaceship. And you're just kind of like, dude, you should be dead. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I like that. One. There's there's like a whole there's a whole scene in like the cockpit of that ship where like you know and the, they're talking about it and then they're like oh oh Anakin's like gunner station was blown up someone should go help him like and like I don't know it, it seemed like it took a lot longer than it would should have for him to like survive that basically so someone should help that boy it's like too late. <laughs> Well, He's like, like, ah, like, it's cold and I can't breathe. Help me. This doesn't feel like sand at all. Um, <laughs> well, one of the things I, like, got annoyed with, too, is, like, you're talking about Leia, where she was like, I love you. I was like, oh, okay, all right. But, like, R2 and Anakin also formed this really quick bond. Is like, he's kind of being a dick in the first part of the series, and then, and, like, Anakin starts just calling him out, like, top of his head, like, old buddy, and, like, R2's like, you're right, I'm your old buddy, and I'm like, what the fuck did this happen? You're like, since when? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's like, I, really? You guys have been best friends for how long now? Um, oh, he's, there is, there's, like, uh, He's like, uh, R2, I think I love you. <laughs> he's yeah, like, exactly. And then R2's like, burr, 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 I love you too, bro. <laughs> Um, I was going to mention, uh, we mentioned uh, Cleeg Woodson. Um, this, this this is a giant mashup of Star Wars lore, so bear with me. So in the prequels, we have Cleeg Lars. Cleeg Lars is the uh, uh, husband of Shmi Skywalker. And basically, he has a son, and that is actually Owen Lars, which marries... Baru White's son, not Whitson, White's son, and they become the aunt and uncle of Luke Skywalker. In this iteration, we have Klieg Whitson, who is no relation to anyone as far as this series goes, but we also have Baru and Owen who show up on the Wookiee planet. They're like, and they're my like, god, that was a mindfuck. <laughs> they're, they're like the Jane Goodall for Wookiees or some shit. Like, they're like, we're just here like, learning about Wookiee culture. But hey, on the bright side, they don't die. I give no, them no, no, they don't. They don't. They 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 just seem to be friendly. I, I you know, friendly anthropologists who who help out our heroes and everything. You know, I I think you know since since it's staring me smack dab in the face, Tony's avatar is Prince Valorum, who is the yeah. knight in the piece. I I think it's worth mentioning that in addition to having about ten protagonists and main casts of characters there yeah, are bad guys there are a great deal of bad guys like besides the the sith knight who was quickly dispatched in the opening you know as we were describing you've got you know the emperor you've got general darth vader you've got this guy prince valorum who is a sith lord and then you've got the guy who basically is you know, Moth Tarkin and everything. So it, and you also you also you also have like a shit ton of bounty hunters who are all from Empire Strikes Back who get like two pages of screen time, including Boba Fett and Orange. Yeah, or, Orange Boba Fett, who's kind of like Vegeta pre pre anime colors or whatever. And then and then there was uh well I guess technically it's Forlom, but I will always call him Zuckus. So yeah. Yeah, and uh, I guess I guess the biggest guy who actually gets a uh, speaking role because none of those guys get to talk. Boba Fett doesn't get to talk in this guy, seriously. Um, but you have uh, I guess would be uh, Bosk, who's the tradition. He's like he's more orangey in this, and he's like kind of Irish, kind of European. I don't know. <laughs> he's Australian, maybe. Yeah, I, I yeah, I don't know. 
Yeah, but uh, but, but Valorum, I guess I will talk about him since uh, Derek pointed him out. It, it, Valorum is a weird character because he comes in, like I said, in the prequels, they take the name and make him a uh, Senate leader. He goes away pretty soon. And it's played by Terrence Stapp. General Zod, come on. But anyway, Valorum comes in. He's got like the mouthpiece of a uh, Sith Lord where you're like, oh, he's horribly disfigured. No, he's pretty. Um, he just he just wears it because it looks good, I guess. And at first, he's uh very Sith-like. He's like, you know, I will crush these, you know, Jedi. There's, he's like, why would you be here? You know, it's like only because a Jedi is here. You know, all this kind of you know. Well, like, and, and Vader, who at this point uh, has been kind of built up to be one of the most imposing villains in the piece, when you know Valorum shows up, who's kind of you know, he's he's a bit more skinny, he's a bit more, he's not as tall, he's not as imposing as Vader, but Vader quickly kind of kowtows, is like, oh, you're a, you're a Sith Lord? Well, my army's at your disposal, man, I love you Sith guys, you guys are the best, you know, and he, he kind of quickly sort of defers yeah. to him in, in, a, in one sequence, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly, uh, and that changes really quickly, because there's a scene where they have, like, like Derek said, there's a lot of prison escapes in this. And they have Anakin tied up and stuff. Well, Electro bonded, I guess you would say. And Valorum is talking to him, and he's like, you know, like it, it's supposed to be this moment where, like, you think they're making some kind of progress, but Valorum is still an asshole. And, and like, they take Anakin off, and they're about to transport him to like the nearest Imperial facility. And Valorum is just like he cuts his shackles off, and he's like, you know. Now, you know, uh, Star Killer, we will see this like as a battle between Jedi and Sith. And he's like, for freedom! And he starts attacking stormtroopers. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, he definitely has like a flip flopping turn. The, the only thing I can point to is that since this is so heavily lifted from the Hidden Fortress, Toshiro Mitsune's, Mifune's role in the Hidden Fortress, he's a great general. His name was uh, Rokurota. And Rokurota has a rival, and his rival's name is. Uh, it's been so Tad- long since I've seen Sorry, yeah. I gotta I, I gotta pronounce this right, but it, his rival's name is Tadakoro, and okay. Tadakoro basically is from the opposing clan. You know, he that's his rival. Like he he is not there to support uh, Rokurota, but basically by the end of the film. Tadakoro is like, I'm with the princess and I'm with the the good guys now. So like that's yeah. the, that's the only I mean, it doesn't really explain it very well, but that that's the only thing I can point to. I mean, I mean, I guess you could say it has uh, to do with uh, a sense of Japanese honor and nobility that don't really translate into this story other than if you attribute that same honor and nobility to the Sith and the Jedi, you know, like, I mean, that's the only well, thing I could point to. Well, I, I, I think that's one of the reasons why this, this series has a lot of beats that I like, whereas, you know, it's still kind of Star Wars, but there's some differences, you know, obviously Darth Vader returns at the end of Jedi. Oh my God. Spoilers. If you haven't seen Jedi, go fuck yourself. He throws the emperor down the fucking pit and, you know, he turns good, you know, he's fucking Anakin. But in this, you know, we have a really quick turn. The quick turn did kind of make me go, what the fuck? But Valorum is a snarky, like you said, kind of a, well, with Boba Fett, but he's honestly kind of like a Vegeta character. He's like, I don't like you, but I'm just doing this because I hate the Empire more. 
I kind of liked him. I was like, when he turned good, I was like, kind of digging you, sir. You know, it's like when they go down the garbage chute, he's still like, you know, a conscientious objector. But I was like, I would like you to be in your own series, you know, kind of a dickhead, you know, anti Sith Lord. He's like, I don't like the Jedi, but I like the, I hate the Empire more. Well, I kind of, yeah, I kind of got into him. It's interesting the way it turns because. You know, when he first comes on the scene, they all defer to him and they all seem to think he's the greatest thing since sliced bread because he takes out Jedi. But it kind of reminds me of like, I guess you'd have to be a, a really excellent student of Japanese history. But, you know, we, we've watched some Roroni Kenshin and that doesn't like make us experts on it. But I mean, I would I would imagine it's a similar case to the fact that these these houses funded samurai and some samurai were of course highly respected and everything but once the money dried out or once they turned on them it's like basically once they had the new the new regime in place and the samurai were no longer needed they turned against them so that's what i noticed in that one yeah. scene is because it's like oh now that they've got the last of the jedi and they're torturing anakin it's like there's that that one-off line where he says yes you know, now that we've finally taken out all the Jedi, yeah. maybe the Sith will, Sith be, will next. be next. Yeah. And and you just yeah. kind of realize, oh, well, that's why, you know, that that's clearly a, a decent motivation for why he sort of flip-flopped. You know, it's like, but you, you, you kind of wonder, like, why would those guys be so arrogant to to say that to his face? You know, like, but, you know, I guess I guess and, you can't really, and, and, can't really explain like the arrogance said, of people, you know? Well, and like you said, there's, like, a lot of things that are dropped for no reason, there's that scene where they're in the trash compactor, which echoes the original movie. And, like, you know, instead of Han, Luke, and Leia, it's uh, Valorum, uh, Anakin, and uh, Leia. And, and Leia does kind of drop a little thing, like, you know, he's arrogant, but, you know, at least he speaks his mind. And you're like, oh! You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did, what did you think of Valorum, Mike? I mean, did he speak to you on that kind of Vegeta level at all? Or did you just not, were you interested in the character at all? Did it come out of left field for you, or...? It did kind of come out of left field to me, but it, it kind of felt like like after he fails to kill like Anakin and like stop them and whatever, it's like Darth Vader's kind of like, oh, you ain't so hot. Like, mm. like I, I thought you were cool, but you ain't you ain't so hot. So like, I, I don't know, maybe like I guess that was the only hint that he might like, you know, turn on him. But I don't know. Yeah. It, 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 yeah. He was just kind of like, you know. Uh, I'm going to kill you, Anakin. After I kill all these other guys, like, and he turns around and yeah. starts like killing all the stormtroopers. I'm like, wait, what? When did that happen? And I mean, well, yeah, that that like, panel is very confusing because he's like, like I said, he's like, you know, the Jedi and the Sith will fight for freedom. Like, oh, what the hell? <laughs> yeah, like I don't know, like. I like that character archetype, like the rival that like has to like uh, eventually like begrudgingly maybe team up with the hero or whatever. But I didn't feel like this was like earned or anything. Mm, yeah. Like it just kind of happened. Like yeah. I mean, maybe maybe if it happened in like a in a in a third movie after Valorum had yeah. been like built up for a while, but yeah, not not like this. Not like this. I, 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 I mean, like, it was very sudden, but, like, I don't know who was writing Valorum's dialogue, but his dialogue seemed to get really crisp and really funny. I don't know why. It was just, like, I, I, I like that kind of Star Wars trip because Lucas can write funny dialogue. He seems to write smartasses really well. And, like, as far as a Han Solo character in this, 
Valorum was probably the closest Han Solo character in the whole damn series. Yeah, after they got out of the trash compactor, Leia should have been like, I think I love you, Valorum. <laughs> and <laughs> Anakin, like, Anakin could have hey. been like, I think I love Valorum too. <laughs> <laughs> License to print money right there. <laughs> um, oh, I, I mean, like, uh, like I, I guess you uh, kind of uh, broke the seal on this, Derek. But probably one of the stupidest things was the, uh, you know, Battlefield Earth thing where they literally train Wookiees who can't even talk to, like, the human characters to fly goddamn starships in, like, 20 minutes. Yeah, it's it, it, I couldn't help but think of Battlefield Earth when I was watching it. I mean, I, I was just like, oh, cool, like, cavemen flying uh, F-16 jet fighters, like, awesome, you know? like the- You think, I was going to say, you think, like, the whole, like, the Wookiees making Anakin their god or whatever, you think that's, like, the genesis of the, like, Wookiee life debt or, you know, like, you I know, know, that concept? Me, I mean, this is... It reminded me, remind me of, like, 3PO with the yeah. Ewoks. Yeah, I, I'd say it reminded me of 3PO with the Ewoks. Like, much like, you, you know, whether you've read some of these scripts or you've just heard things in passing, I mean, I always remember as a kid hearing the rumors of, oh, like, the Ewoks were Wookiees that were cut in half, and this was supposed <laughs> to be in the original film. Do you know what I mean? Like, basically, that, that, and that, and that's another thing that basically got pushed into a later film, you know, an idea that he just wouldn't let die, which was, you know, it was supposed to be the, the primitive tribal people, you know, uh, rising up against their oppressors, you know, and, and that's, that's something that, you know, it's like, oh, that never made it into Star Wars, really, but it did make it into Return of the Jedi, you know, and, and it's like, okay, well, instead of making them Wookiees, they made them cute teddy bears, but that's the same, I mean, the, the same idea, it's like, they didn't make Anakin Starkiller their god, but they did make 3PO their god, basically, you know, so, I, yeah, I, 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 tend to think more like Tony did in, in the sense of that kind of context that the, the Wookiees are just, you know, uh, you know, or, or the Ewoks are just Wookiees cut in half, basically. There's, there's also kind of interesting uh, McQuarrie thing there. If you look at, uh, there's a really famous poster by McQuarrie where it's like the original cast of the Star Wars. It's got, it's got the R2-D2 with the arms. It's got the uh, Maria, I think, from uh, Metropolis. Is that her name, Maria? Oh, like the robot? Yeah, I don't know what her name is. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, like, yeah, that's the design for 3PO. You got Starkiller, you got Leia, and you've got uh, this big-ass alien behind them. And it's really funny because I guess this would be a later concept, but he looks like a mismatch between Han Solo and the furry Wookiees from this thing. He looks more like a lizard ape alien. Yeah, I I was always wondering if that was supposed to be Han Solo or if that was supposed to be Chewbacca. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it was like it was very vague. It was like, uh, what is that? And like they they seem to take both those elements and just kind of mismatch them at a later point for uh, production print. But like, yeah, because the Wookiees have a certain kind of face. They have this kind of like face. I'm sorry, they do. And uh, Han Solo has this very swamp thing face. But but Han Solo is a lizard. He doesn't have any fur on him. And they throw some fur on this guy in the production print. It's a very beautiful print. Uh, but Corey is a master. And, I mean, I've always loved his artwork. But, like, when I read the series, I was like, wait a minute. Are you two guys supposed to be the same guy? <laughs> so. Yeah, yeah. That's Well, I, I think that's another case of the script, you know, having lots of 
main characters or protagonists are just instead of consolidating into a single character you know it's like it seems like the they're they're split into to many different characters that could easily all do the same thing yeah yeah so i i guess uh, we should mention like by the end of this we have uh we have luke and we have luke and uh chewbacca doing the uh flight run they're 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 doing basically the death star battle we have anakin kind of doing like the weird ass you know escape from death star but also jedi thing where like they have to get off the death star and he's with valorum and they have to rescue leia and you know the ending the ending on this is very abrupt and like i know it's a comic and i know you have so many panels you have so many pages but like it was just like that that scene of like leia and anakin kissing i was like okay well that's over (laughs) Well, yeah, it's like it's like it's like the romance is is uh, consummated when the Death Star blows up, you know, like it's like they they're, they're both on top of one another. And then you've got like, <laughs> you know, you've got like Vader and and the, the governor oh, basically yeah. doing the, yeah. the Moff Tarkin thing where it's like this whip, you know, this station is fully operational and it's, you know, it's indestructible. Evacuate in a moment of triumph. You know, like that kind of thing, and and then they both Vader literally, you know? literally, yeah, Vader literally gets a one-panel death scene. Yeah, You're just like oh, that kind of that kind of made me laugh. Like Darth Vader was kind of like, you know, I really think we should get out of here. Oh God, like <laughs> <laughs> oh shit. Um, if, if it helps though, uh, for everybody and for the love of God, I don't know why fanboys are so pissed off about this. I, I've been on forums for 20 plus years since the start of the internet. Everybody's always got pissed off about Chewbacca never getting a medal. In the very first fucking scene of the uh, award ceremony, Chewbacca's the first one to get a goddamn medal. So shut well, the fuck up. <laughs> Chewbacca fucking brought down the Space Fortress. You know, like, I mean, he was, he oh, was no, the I'm man. Not I'm just saying, like, yeah, I'm not saying I, I'm mad. I'm just like, there you go, kids. You, you, Chewbacca got his goddamn medal. You know? Oh, I'm just saying that for everybody who's mad about it, I'm like, Chewbacca was the co-pilot who helped uh, Darth Vader rotate into outer space, as opposed to Chewbacca was the, the best pilot of the Battlefield Earth, you know, tribal people who actually <laughs> sunk the freaking Death Star. So, I mean, there's a little bit of difference. Um, but yeah. I, I, I mean, um, we can go, but this is not my ending thought. I did want to say, though, is like, one of the things I, I did kind of like about this series is it did have an epic feel. And one of the things I kind of liked about this is the deaths did seem very inconsequential. But like you said, in Dune and stuff, it's a war. So that's kind of cool. But at the same time when you have inconsequential deaths, they should be inconsequential. It should be like, you know, like, we had this army and they died and it was horrible. And you you can feel bad about that. But when you had so many characters that you were kind of told to care about, I think that was probably my biggest gripe about this. I don't like how they set up so many characters that you're supposed to care about. Like you said, uh, you know, a cast of millions. You know, and that didn't sit well with me because I was like, I, I like Cleek Whitson. Whitson. I, you know, Kane Starkiller, if Kane Starkiller died, that would have been the, that would have been a good death. That would have been like, you know, that's the death we get. You know, that's that's our guy who's going to die. He did his best. He died. But then you have like, you know, Darth Vader 
uh, you know, Hordak. Um, <laughs> Hodak, I know, but Hordak sounds better. Hodak dying. You have, like, all these characters dying, and it's just like, at a certain point, you stop caring because you're like, well, anybody I like might die at any moment, so I don't know what's going to go on. So, like, I think the death toll was a little bit too high on this. I, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like, I, I just think there were so many characters, it was easy to take that route with some of them because by the end of it, you still have this whole, you know, trophy room, you know, where they're giving out medals to, you know, it's like, oh, it's a, it's a cast of millions. Like, okay, now it's a cast of half a million, you know, like, it, 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 <laughs> I don't know. I wasn't, I wasn't really feeling the, the pangs of, of people, you know, cause the, it was such a large group of characters. I didn't really feel those, those pangs myself, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I guess for my final thoughts on it, I'll, I'll just say that, like I've been saying, I, I do think it was a really interesting exercise. It was something I was looking forward to reading. I'm, I'm glad I was able to read it and see it interpreted in the visual medium. I mean, that I, I, I think in some aspects that, uh, you know, uh, I'm trying to hold on. Let me I, I think in some aspects that Mike Mayhew did a good job of, of showing us certain aspects that you wouldn't be able to get from the script. I Like I said, there were some moments, though, where it was tough to see things like the distinction between yeah. the gender of the twins and and, and Klee Wixon's introduction and his, his relative importance to the script and everything like that. But, I mean, overall, I mean, I, I, I thought it was a fun piece to look at and everything. I mean, I'm glad, you know, that, the, you know, to me, like, the zero issue is helpful, too, where you've got the artwork but next to, you know, a, a laundry list of descriptions and, and who the characters represent and maybe possibly who they were inspired by, you know? So there, there's there's a lot of cool stuff to to sort of take in and sponge in. But, you know, again, kind of like Mike says, I mean, there, there are aspects of it that, you know, can become impenetrable if you're not willing to sort of delve into the deeper, deeper aspects of the story, you know? So you, you, I, I don't think this is for anyone with a casual interest in star Wars, I guess. Is my, this this, this my is final. also, this is also no supernaturals. This is not bad by any no. stretch of the imagination. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was an interesting exercise, and uh, I don't know, it kind of it, it kind of made me glad that like you know people people uh, who handled the first you know the original trilogy like took a you know a magic marker and like xed out a bunch of stuff. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Saved all the prime cuts basically. <laughs> let's so. redact that. Let's redact that. Redact that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I enjoyed reading it. Like, I, like I, like you said, Derek, it was kind of like, you know, part of it was like reading something like you, you expected to be like awful and like trying to like, you know, recover or like identify the DNA of something, basically. I, I would say it's kind of like good fan fiction, because every time you, every once in a while you could read good fan fiction, you'd be like, oh, I like this part. I like this part. That part kind of sucks. I like this part, and then when you get done, you're like, that wasn't bad. I like that, you know? I mean, I know it's official. I mean, I know it actually happened, but, like, it gives me that feeling. It's like when you read a good fan fiction where you're like, this guy knows what he's talking about. Apparently, George Lucas kind of knew what he was talking about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, like like Mike saying, he this, this was the, the base DNA code for for what would become Star Wars. You know, it's a little messy. It, it's not It's not quite you know, a human being yet, but it's going to 
it's gonna get there, you know. Like so, yeah. <laughs> gonna be a big old baby who's gonna get punched in the face. <laughs> My uh, films tap into a mythology that I think uh, we all uh, uh, recognize. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, does that mean that, uh, that Star Wars uh, is a religion? No, it's just a movie. Actually, I wasn't asking you there. I wasn't asking you. Yes. Yes, it does. It is It is a religion. But um, does that make me a god? No. Again, uh, not asking me. All right. Well, I, I think that kind of wraps up our thoughts on the Dark Horse miniseries, The Star Wars. So I think what we'll do is we'll go into our regularly scheduled segment, which is what is awesome in your world this week. And that's where we like to just sit down and discuss something, whether it be a book, a film, a TV series, a comic, anything like that, that really struck our fancy. And we just like to share it with our listeners. So I will go with Mr. Michael and ask him what his awesome thing of the week was. Well, I know Tony wanted to talk about this, too, so, like, I'll bring it up. Um, Like, and speaking of Star Wars, like, you know, the final trailer for The Force Awakens was released the week we're recording this, and, uh, you know, it was pretty awesome, and, you know, it it made everyone, I think everyone was pretty universally excited by it, and, you know, I know I was, and I I think the the biggest, like, touchstone or, you know, the crux of why everyone was so excited, basically. I think it was the music in the trailer, because I, I feel like the music really, like, oh, hit yeah. all the right emotional notes and stuff, and, you know, it was a bunch of familiar themes given, like, a, a slightly new, like, more modern spin, but I, I don't know, like, I, I think that really, like, tugged at the old, like, heartstrings and nostalgia and that, and, like, you know, it made, it made me very, a lot more excited to see the movie in December. So, yeah, that's probably my thing for the week. Like, I know, Tony, you, you mentioned before we started recording, you wanted to mention it as well. Oh, uh, yeah, if uh, Derek doesn't mind, I guess I'll go ahead and Secret Brothers him on that. Um, yeah, yeah, no, no, I don't mind at all. Like, talk, talk, <laughs> talk at, at free length about the, the new Force Awakens trailer. Um, I think one of the things I, I like a lot is that Mike is not a huge Star Wars fan, but he likes Star Wars. He has no problem with it. He enjoys the movies. But for him to say he's excited to see the new movie, that makes me excited because I like people to get excited for something I love. And, yes, I know the prequels hurt us. It's OK. It's OK. Talk about your pain. It's OK. But you can move on. I want like my pain, voice. Tony. I need my pain. <laughs> But you can enjoy something that's good, and the trailer was really good. Um, actually, when you said the music, I was actually telling Derek before you got on, like, one of my favorite scenes is when the Millennium Falcon is flying through the uh, debris of the uh, destroyed Star Destroyers and, like, the junk field, and you hear the Leia theme, you know, the da na 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 and I'm like, that's Empire Strikes Back. Oh, my God, that's so fucking good. And, I mean, I hate to be the guy who hypes this trailer too much, Everybody's seen the damn trailer. It's got, like, so many millions of views. I know you guys have seen it. But I like the idea of how stores can be generational. There's a lot of kids who are, like, 15 who love the prequels. First of all, fuck you, but I love you. I love you. It's okay. You can love the prequels. I I don't hate you, but fuck you. But when you see this movie, I hope it's as good as I hope it will be. 
I do have a little bit of awareness about it. I've been burned before, but I'm excited. And I don't get excited for movies a lot. So when I get excited, it's something special. So I hope it pays off. If it doesn't, I won't be butthurt. I won't be the first person online to be like, oh, that movie sucked. J.J. Abrams can go suck a dick. I'll just be like, I went in knowing what I was going into. Star Wars is a very tricky thing to pull off. But if he does it, if he does do it, I'm going to be very happy. The trailer gives me hope. Han Solo wasn't just like, he was like, you know, it was like, it's all real. And I'm like, Han Solo plays a part in this. There's so many good scenes, so many cool action parts. Um, Like I said before, with Star Trek, I think J.J. Abrams wanted to make a Star Wars movie, and he made a Star Wars movie with Star Trek. That's why people didn't like Star Trek as much. Some people liked it. Some people were like, oh, this is a Star Wars movie. I'm like, well, let him make a fucking Star Wars movie. So I am excited. I'm looking forward to it. It's perfect for Star Wars Month, and I agree with Mike. The, the trailer got me excited. So, yeah, totally Secret Brothers on that. I'm just going to be like J.J. Abrams. It is time to settle this honorably. Sith to Jedi. I will totally chop your head off, but not really, for freedom! And then we'll fight together. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think for, for me, I mean, I'll, I'll at least Secret Brothers you on the fact that when, when this was airing on Monday Night Football on ESPN, I, I saw the, the woes of a, a great many nerds who cried out and were suddenly silenced that they had to watch football, right? And what I <laughs> thought was awesome was at least I, I seem to have timed it just right where I came home from work and then I was bullshitting online and then I just thought, oh, yeah, that trailer's going to be on. And then I yeah, turned so on the I, TV. I, 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 yeah. I turned on the TV and was like, where the fuck is Monday Night Football? Because I, I was like, I was thinking it was going to be on like a regular network channel. And then I realized it was on ESPN. And then and then I, by the time I found it and flipped on the TV, there was the guy going, it's halftime and here's time for the trailer. So it was like, I got there just in time. So for me, I was like, I didn't have to exert a whole lot of effort. So that part of it was awesome. Now, all these websites that got crashed because all these people were trying to buy tickets that was a big pain in the ass but i will say i got my ticket it is our intention to discuss the film when it finally comes out and we are going to have a whole month of star wars content which obviously begins with you know the podcast that you're listening to now so i mean if if both uh you know mike and tony got a kick out of seeing the trailer i don't see any problem with you know talking about it and, and kind of reveling in their excitement you know yeah, I mean, I, I, like, you, you guys understand. One of Derek's biggest problems is, is he bought a whole lot of Episode 1 figures, and it took years to get rid of them. That, so I understand. That's, that's, not, that's not my only personal problem with the prequels, Tony, but... but well, that's, I know. That's, yeah. that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. That, that was That is definitely a trial to go through. No, I'll just say, I mean, I'm not... I'm not immediately overwhelmed by all the the Force Awakens buzz or anything like that. We, you know, we talked about Force Friday and all that kind of stuff. But I will say that that a lot of the portrayals of Star Wars that are going on with like the Rebels TV show and a lot of the Marvel comics. I mean, I'll I'll just go to bat and say yeah. that my my awesome thing of the week I'm going to recommend, and I don't think we're going to discuss this in detail in in this month of Star Wars content coverage, but I did enjoy reading the Lando miniseries that's by Charles Soule, and I just want to go to bat for that guy as a writer because 
every time I read something by him, whether it's like an Inhumans miniseries or the Superman Wonder Woman or his Swamp Thing or a- anything I've read of his lately, I've always been happy and pleased with. And, and I've always thought he's done a really good job. And this Lando miniseries is no exception. I mean, I kind of yuck it up about some of the details of the miniseries, but I think that's because I had fun reading it. So I, I would just recommend uh lando it's a five issue miniseries from marvel comics uh written by charles soul and i think he did a great job on that so that's that's going to be my awesome thing for the the week in terms of you know tying into our whole star wars month and star wars coverage and everything so all right so i i think that wraps up our coverage of the star wars for tonight's show and as we mentioned we are you know our plan moving forward is to have a whole month of of star wars coverage for you guys which will culminate in our thoughts and musings on the force awakens when it is finally released uh oh i guess i should do the whole you can find us on fanholspodcast.blogspot.com if you love star wars and and hate all our bitching and moaning you can send angry emails to fanholspodcast at gmail.com we are on stitcher radio we are on itunes we appreciate all the reviews and feedbacks on itunes and other social media such as facebook twitter tumblr etc so until the next time this is going to be derek derek wc signing off it's michael and one day i will find a way to keep people from dying (laughs) this is tony may the force of others be with you my son i'm going to kill you tony after i kill all these other guys (laughs) you know what i'm gonna give you i'm gonna give you guys my power fact can't love you not 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 until i get over the death of my secret robot dad <laughs> see that's what i was that's where i was expecting it to go but it didn't so there sure are a lot of people in this series who think they love people <laughs> i, I was wondering if Cleek was like it's foolish to to be in love with someone in the middle of battle but i love you guys too <laughs> It's foolish to be in love with someone in the middle of battle, especially when you're like me and you love battle. <laughs> at least, I don't know, like, yeah, I, I know we didn't even talk about this in detail, but I was like, at least, at least in the context of the Star Wars, they were like on the run. So that kind of made more sense than the whole 
Jedi Order stuff where they're just like casually walking from room to room without any urgency. And then it's like, loving's bad. You should not love things because we're Jedis. And it's like, doesn't make any sense to like, you know, human beings pretty much. But like, and I can't, I can't love anyone. I'm a senator. Yeah, it's like, it's like, but at least in the context of this, I sort of got it because it's like, wait a minute, like, you know, we're being hunted right now. Like, now's not the time for that bullshit. Like, worry about it once we're not being hunted. You know, like, 